Welcome to tonight's Wireside Chat. As I said, I'm Paul Whitcover. I'm the Associate Dean of the Online MFA here at Southern New Hampshire University. And my guest tonight is my colleague, Jacob Powers, who is the Associate Dean of the Online BA and MA Creative Writing Programs. And I'm also joined by, um, I hope three, but for now, just one, um, MFA student, Arlene Schwartz. And Arlene, Arlene, if you want to put your camera on really quick just to say hi, that would be great if you could do that. Yep, there she is. Uh, Arlene is a um, successful uh, survivor of our pitch weekend last uh, in, that we took place a few weeks ago in December. And um, she's going to talk a little bit about what that experience was like. Uh, this is very important um, uh, skill for writers to develop, and I know it can be a very uh, anxiety-provoking uh, uh, experience, uh, although hopefully it wasn't so bad when you actually got in there, Arlene. Okay, so we're going to, Jacob and I are going to chat a little bit about our programs, and then I'll call you back up uh, to talk about your experience. All right, see you soon. So. Um, Jacob, uh, let's talk yes. a little bit just about our, our various programs and the difference between the MA and the MFA. If we if let's say you're a student in the BA program uh, here and you're interested in pursuing a, a career in creative writing, um, wh why would you choose the MA over the MFA or vice versa? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure. I I've heard so many wonderful things about the Wireside Chat, so I'm, I'm just so happy to be here and stuff. And usually Paul and I are working together on the Word for Word series, which I'm going to uh, plug right now. And I'll plug yes, again please. later. We have we have one coming up this Thursday uh, featuring uh, Alyssa Cole, New York Times bestselling author Alyssa Cole. Uh, she'll be reading from her uh, latest book, When No One Is Watching, um, which is just a phenomenal work. It was really great. Um, so, yeah. Usually we have them on Wednesdays, but to this week they're on Thursday. So if you do usually attend, make sure you mark your calendar for Thursday at eight. But we're really excited to have her and it should be a good uh, conversation. Uh, going back to your original question, though, uh, when would it be appropriate to choose an MA versus an MFA, uh, especially if you're a BA student here? Uh, well, the MA, the MA both, both of the court, both programs, both the MA and the MFA are writing intensive. So you're going to be doing creative writing in both of them. Both of them have peer workshops. So you're going to have that experience where, you you know, your peers are going to offer um, constructive criticism on your uh, pieces. And you'll either take that feedback and, and revise it uh, in that way or uh, decide to go a different route. But, you know, the peer workshop experience is in both of them. Uh, both of them also offer the fiction concentrations, um, and uh, they also offer uh, courses in teaching creative writing uh, or first-year writing. And uh, in general, I would say they both offer opportunities to work with other students who are, are passionate about their creative writing. So you can't go wrong with if you're looking for those things. They're both really helpful and beneficial. Uh, the difference between them is that the MA in creative writing has more literature courses for one. Um, so if you are taking an MA here, you'll 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 be taking a couple of additional literature courses. So if you're interested in that or learning about literature, analyzing it, kind of getting some ideas on, on where to go with your writing um, with literature, uh, that that is one thing the MA offers here. Um, the other opportunity is <clears throat> that you're able to explore across genres in the MA. So not only does the program offer a fiction concentration. It also offers a poetry, a screenwriting, and a nonfiction concentration as well. Um, students can choose when they go into the MA whether or not they want to focus on one particular concentration, say nonfiction, um, or if they don't want to choose a concentration, they can kind of dabble in a little bit of all of it. Um, so they can take uh, they take three fundamentals courses. So they can take like screenwriting fundamentals, fiction fundamentals, and poetry fundamentals, and then. Um, when you're done with the uh, the uh, uh, program, you know, you, you take 690, which is the English capstone, and that gives you an opportunity to kind of explore one of those genres a little bit more and, and to kind of uh, uh, build on it from there. So 
it's a really good opportunity for folks who want to explore multiple genres uh, beyond fiction. If you're interested in poetry, interested in screenwriting or nonfiction, the MA is a good choice, um, especially if you took those courses as a BA, if you want to continue to work on whatever it is you're working on into the MA, it's, it's a good idea. Um, the and then, like, you know, it, it gives you the ability to practice your writing a little bit more and strengthen your craft. Um, and the benefit is that, like, you don't have to necessarily do just one or the other. It's it's not necessarily a, a, a path where it's like it's either the MA or the MFA, um, kind of the same thing where it's either the MFA or a PhD. Some people do both. Um, it's rarer. Uh, I will say that because it's a lot more you know, time and, and, and everything uh, to, to, to get multiple degrees like that. But if you want to come to, if you're not quite ready to have a super writing intensive program like the MFA, uh, and you uh, may have another full-time career where you want to kind of learn the practice or get into the habit of, of writing um, frequently, meeting deadlines with our uh, our final projects and everything like that. Uh, the MA is a good uh, uh, choice for that. Um, I think if you wanted for, for MFA, for those who want to go in the MFA, um, if you are fiction and 100% fiction and want to do fiction, especially since the MFA offers those those four subgenres uh, that you have, Paul, uh, speculative, romance, uh, young adult, and contemporary, uh, excellent choice for anyone who wants to pursue the MFA as well. Um, but if you want, if you, going back, you know, you can pursue an MA and then build on that, uh, uh, you know, experience, have uh, more of a writer's portfolio uh, before applying to MFA programs, if you want to, if you want to have that extra um, um, uh, learning and stuff. Um, Ultimately, the only other difference that you want to know that you should know is that the MA is not a terminal degree. So if you get an MA, you can, you know, a lot of people might pursue a PhD after that if they want to in creative writing or English literature. Uh, you don't necessarily need to. Um, but with the MFA, it's, it's considered traditionally a terminal degree, which means you're done. Once you have an MFA, you don't need to pursue that PhD to qualify for teaching opportunities to qualify uh, um, uh, for uh, tutoring opportunities and stuff like that. You have to have publication history and stuff. That That is still a, a, a must. Um, but it, you are able to um, find careers uh, with an MFA without having to go that extra step with the PhD. Not so much with the MA, you, you could. I mean, if you become a prolific writer and you have a lot of publications with an MA, uh, you can certainly land a job teaching creative writing um, you can and, and stuff. But I mean, it's a lot harder of a process um, to pursue it in that way. So I think that answered your question and then some. Yes, yes it does. <laughs> Thank you. And I, yep. I can vouch for that. I mean, uh, I'm kind of also have my, my uh, one eye on the, uh, the, the chat where some crazy stuff is going on. Uh, and I want to assure people that that we haven't actually turned our, our chat over to chat GPT or anything like that. And we're not spoofing anybody. I don't know what's going on. It's just some weird clone stuff happening there. Uh, so my advice is just sit back, enjoy it. Nothing nefarious. Um, and uh, hopefully if you type something in there, we will see it and uh, and ask uh, ask any questions that you may care to, to raise. So Jacob was just saying that, like, uh, the MFA is a terminal degree um, that qualifies you in itself to teach at the uh, university post-secondary level, um, whereas with the MA, you probably need um, other, um, uh, I don't know, you need, you need to prove your qualifications in other ways than just the MA. It's probably not going to be sufficient if you want to teach creative writing at the college level alone. Uh, I have an MA in creative writing. I don't have an MFA. Uh, but I had a, a substantial publication record uh, of fiction. I had uh, a lot of critical stuff published. Um, so that made up for the fact that I didn't have an MFA, luckily. Um, but you can't count on that. Um, publication is always good regardless of whether you have an MFA or an MA. So one thing that I advise you to do if you're interested in pursuing a career as a writer, regardless of whether you, you go from your BA into an MA or an MFA, is start to submit your work as soon as possible um, and submit it 
to uh, professional paying venues as soon as you possibly can um, and do it, do it as much as you possibly can just to get yourself into the habit um, of, of, well, unfortunately, rejection, a big part of every writer's life, but also the habit of kind of picking yourself up, resubmitting, resubmitting, resubmitting uh, until ultimately your story is, is taken. You know, a lot of times a writer will think that they're rejected because of something wrong with their story. Uh, and if there may be something wrong with your story, who can say? But oftentimes, it's not anything wrong with your story. It's simply that you haven't found the right editor yet. Um, and if you submit your stuff over and over again, and just don't take no for an answer, sooner or later, you'll find the editor is like, oh, I love this story. This guy's got a unique voice, or I've never seen a, a writer like this woman here. I mean, they'll just like, they will they will love what you're doing. They'll understand what you're doing. They'll publish it. And uh, but you'll never get to that point if the first rejection you suffer um, kind of closes the door as far as your submission process goes. So um, yes. in, in the MFA, we we actually part of the requirement um, to get the MFA to graduate is to, to show proof that you've submitted at least one piece of short fiction uh, somewhere. You don't have to be accepted. You just have to have submitted it. Um, so it's good to get into that habit as early as possible, I think. Um, yes. What, uh, what is, uh, Jacob, what was your pathway to, to the MFA or to your MFA? Yes. Yeah, so, so we have a little bit uh, of um, uh, different stories. Like you had just mentioned that you have MA and um, uh, a much more extensive publishing history than I, I do myself. Um, what I, my journey, let me go all the way back to, you know, my BA. I got my bachelor's degree in creative writing, uh, which was kind of a rarity then because it was not attached to the English department that I went, the school that I went to. It was its own department, creative writing department, as opposed to being a part of like a literature degree or anything like that. Um, so that was what I was attracted to at this particular university, Grand Valley State University. And I went there and I started taking the creative writing courses. And in addition to that, one of the things I was looking for was, you know, money because I didn't have any. And uh, so I, I, I just stumbled across a, a ad um, going through one of the halls um, one week at, about writing tutoring and helping in, in writing tutors or, or the writing center. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I don't know if I'm any good at that, but I did know, you know, as a freshman, um, sometimes my roommate would ask me to read his stuff and I would kind of give feedback and everything and he seemed grateful and everything. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, and I did, I got the, I got the job and, you know, it's very just, you know, working with students um, as a peer, offering feedback, guidance, support on whatever paper they're bringing into the writing center. Uh, that branched out to online support as well. We used, um, oh my gosh, I don't think it was AOL Instant Messenger. But I think it might have actually been like that, that. We were doing old school like submissions like you could you could connect to us with in <laughs> ICQ or AOL and, and ask questions over the chat and we would answer them with grammar in real time and stuff like that. Um, so so having that experience was nice. Um, it didn't necessarily mean that that's that got me uh, where I went next, though. But I'm, I'm saving that to kind of bridge it to to the career that I, I eventually got um, for the MFA. I knew I wanted to pursue an MFA. Um, my writing instructors at Grand Valley recommended, uh, you know, applying to 10 different programs. They said 10 is a good bare minimum number because, like Paul said, with the publication thing, MFA programs are kind of the same way in, in a lot of regards. Um, it, it's kind of like you're auditioning to be published, but you're not going to get published yet. <laughs> and they're, they're looking to see, oh, this person has potential. Um, so, you know, you might not fit with that particular program, depending on on who's teaching there and 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 stuff as well. Um, so it's not necessarily it's not a bad thing to be rejected. It's, it's a good thing to um, apply broadly and, and a lot. Um, so that's what I ended up doing. And I got a couple of um, MFA, a couple of opportunities in different MFA programs. And I went with Boise State University because they offered a GA ship, 
Um, I was looking for a TA ship. I was hoping to teach um, What's the first year. What's difference between a GA ship and a TA ship? So TA ship is teaching teaching assistant ship. And, you know, with my experience working in the writing center and stuff, I thought, oh, maybe this this is a good, you know, easy way in. Uh, and and it, the nice thing about having the TA ship, at least with Boise State, is that, um, you know, I had a little bit of extra money uh, or GA ship. I had a little bit of extra money and stuff to to navigate um, uh, Boise at that time and everything. But um, the GA ship is is just a graduate assistant ship. And what I my job was was not teaching, um, but instead uh, helping keep the program running. So like if the application process, I would organize the hundreds and hundreds of applications we would get, um, put them in the database, uh, distribute them to the faculty in the MFA program to read and decide which students were going to come in the next year, um, uh, things like that. Uh, the writing series, I had a huge part of um, basically, you know, getting the rooms, uh, uh, sometimes having to pick up the writer uh, at the airport, um, making sure that they're comfortable, they, ordering books uh, from the bookstore for their readings and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, and just basically answering questions for the program and everything. So I kind of, you know, at the time I was a little sad by that because I wanted to I wanted to teach. Um, but in retrospect, it was actually kind of nice because I didn't have as much work <laughs> to do, uh, because like, you know, applications happen three months, you're not teaching the whole time. You're not dealing with, you know, you might have 20 to 30 students that you're working with in an English composition course and stuff. Um, but some of my colleagues were swamped, uh, whereas I, I did, I was not, so I had a little bit of extra time to write and stuff. But in the meantime, because I wanted to continue to teach, I applied to the writing center at Boise State University, too. And I got in and uh, online learn on online um, submissions and stuff became even more uh, advanced at that point and stuff. So it was nice because I was kind of getting my foot in the door digitally. And um, after the, the three years at Boise State University, I. Uh, moved to Florida, Florida, because my uh, spouse who I had met there um, was getting her PhD at Florida State University. Um, so I applied uh, for an adjunct job at Tallahassee Community College and I, I got it. And it was um, because they looked at my experience with uh, my uh, writing center work. And um, I kind of did other things too with that, like uh, worked with students in the classroom, helped um, um, first year students uh, with thesis projects, all kinds of stuff like that. So by building up that kind of repertoire and stuff, I was able to leverage that into an adjunct position at the time. And so they they took me not because I had a TA ship, but because I had all of these other experiences. Um, and I think that's what my, my takeaway and, and my advice to everyone on, on this call is, is that like there are many pathways to to get to where you want to go if you want to teach or if you want to write. Don't just think that there's that one way, like it, I got to get this TA ship, I got to do this or else I'm not going to be able to teach and stuff. There are ways to work towards it in other ways and to build off of that, like because I know that not everyone has the opportunity or experience necessarily to work at a writing center. Um, what I ended up doing when I uh, moved to Tallahassee, in addition to adjuncting at TCC, was um, apply for smart thinking which is an online tutoring service, um, which I think still exists and stuff, but it, it, it was, it, 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 and they usually, they hired and a lot, they were hiring a lot at the time and stuff because it was a huge like online writing center database uh, and everything. So I applied there. And then I also applied to Ashford University, which is a competitor to Southern New Hampshire University. Not so much anymore, I don't think, but at the time um, they had a GA ship uh, as well, where you would, or TA ship, where I would grade the essays and stuff for folks in the class when the teacher was giving lectures and everything. So having those two experiences and opportunities too, then gave me the ability to apply to a, a adjunct position here at SNU. And um, I just worked my butt off <laughs> here and worked on, on, on helping um, uh, the English composition programs and everything at, uh, we, we re-envisioned those and um, eventually moved over to the uh, creative writing side and everything. So, again, I think the takeaway that I would say for everyone is that, like, there's no one pathway to follow. Uh, Paul's is very different than mine, um, but we both ended up 
in similar chairs um, as an associate deans uh, for these respective programs and stuff. Uh, it takes lots of years. Uh, it took me, I mean, I've been, let's see, 2006. So it's it's been that long since I've been working like with students on the writing process and everything. Um, it's not something that is instantaneous, but um, it is something to definitely explore. Like any opportunities that you can find where you can add a line to your CV, whether it's, you know, hosting uh, writing um, uh, peer workshop at your local bookstore or um, looking for tutoring services locally. Uh, looking for ed tech jobs at your local high school, or uh, um, so usually you don't need um, uh, advanced degrees for t uh, ed tech jobs like that. Uh, any opportunities like that are are especially beneficial um, for your long term goals, especially if you want to teach. If you don't want to teach, the other side of the thing is um, looking for uh, publishing opportunities or looking for opportunities to write for magazines, which I also did uh, when I was at Grand Valley. I, I wrote. Um, for Grand Valley or Grand Rapids magazine, I did bar reviews, which was fun because that sounds great. <laughs> uh, it was it was great. They're like, go to this bar and write about it, write about the atmosphere and mood. And you got to go on Friday night. So I'm like, all right. So then you go and, and standing there got all your beer for free. I think they gave me a two ticket drink. Yeah, a two ticket voucher. Yeah. But I mean, it's weird because, you know, everyone's on the dance floor having a great time and you know i'm standing in the corner with a notepad taking notes yeah. like oh this is this is the atmosphere uh but so, so this it, it was is not, journalism yeah yeah it was something i never experienced before i never wrote a review like that before or anything i did write uh a book reviews um when it like as an undergrad in some of my classes and actually that's what i ended up using when i was applying for uh to write for the magazine was like look i wrote these book reviews on on um, some Michigan writers and stuff. And they said, all right, well, you want to try, you want to go get a drink and write the bar reviews? So um, again, those, those opportunities when they arise, just, just keep an eye out for them. Um, it might not be necessarily that dream job right away, but you can use all of those different experiences to build um, a unique story that, that that's unique to you. And, and, and um, you know, I think people are, are interested and drawn to that. I mean, they're drawn to people who have to to applicants who have a rich, diverse history of of, of experiences and stuff. So, yep, I would I would agree with that. Um, yep. I'm gonna uh, bring on our other guests in just a minute. Uh, I want to um, just clarify a couple of other things that are differences between the MA and the MFA program. Uh, the MA is open admission. Um, if you want to get go for your MA here at SNHU, you're in. That's all it yep. takes. Desire. For the MFA, however, you have to submit a writing sample, um, and your the writing sample, sample is kind of judged on the basis of your mastery of writing craft, whether we think on the basis of what you submit that you'll be able to write at the level that we expect students in the MFA program to write. Now, if you're rejected, if you apply and you submit your writing sample and you're not accepted into our program, don't despair. Um, we have a number of students in the program that have applied a number of times before getting in. Uh, and we also have a number of students in the program who, upon being rejected from the MFA, having their application rejected, go into the MA. And they take a few courses in the MA and kind of up their writing game uh, and then reapply to the MFA and get in. So that's that's an option. Um, and we encourage uh, we encourage writers to take it. I mean, we both of our programs, I think, are excellent. Um, and uh, I think you can get a wonderful um, education, both both in terms of like the craft of writing, but also practically like, you know, what what does what do you need to know from a business standpoint? Both of our programs offer elements of that. The MFA is particularly strong in that. Yes. Um, I saw a, a question in the chat a while ago. Um, does the MFA offer a concentration in romance fiction? And we don't have concentrations per se, but we do offer romance is one of the genres that we offer. We offer romance, speculative fiction, uh, contemporary, which is an extremely broad genre, which would include things like mystery and thrillers and, you know, what's commonly called uh, chiclet and stuff like that. Um, and then we offer YA. What we don't offer is anything that's not fiction. 
like creative nonfiction, for example, or poetry. We don't offer that, but the MA does. Yes. So at SNHU, you can find something for you, no matter what you're interested in. So one of the things that we offer to all our students in the MA and the MFA alike is a, is a wonderful perk that we started doing last year, which is that students in their graduate um, thesis courses are offered the opportunity to pitch their novels in progress to a professional literary agent. Um, and Jacob and I arranged to have the agents um, appear virtually uh, over a weekend. Uh, students get to sign up for whichever agent they would like to pitch to. And um, they choose their agent on the basis of, you know, the agents give us a, a wish list, the sort of manuscripts that they're looking to see. We They, they share with us what they don't want to see. And so um, students are able to pick which agent they feel is going to be the best you know, choice for them. Um, usually we have, um, I would say, about seven or eight agents uh, that appear over the course of two days. So we have it on a Saturday and a Sunday. So our last one was in December. Our next one, I believe, is coming up in April sometime. Uh, so if you're in the MFA or MA programs now and you're going to be uh, in your graduate uh, term then, uh, keep your, keep an eye peeled for that. And if you're thinking about coming into our program from the BA, either one of our programs, just keep in mind that this is a perk that's waiting for you at the end of the road. We don't just kick you out the door. We try to give you um, a kind of a, 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 a opportunity to, to, to start your career uh, as you're going out the door by possibly hooking up with an agent. So in December, like I mentioned, we had our last uh, pitch sessions, and um, we have two uh, students here with us tonight who participate in, a, in that session. Both of them are from the MFA. Uh, they pitched to the agent of their choice, and they succeeded. So I want to talk uh, with them a little bit. Jacob and I are going to uh, talk with them a little bit about what that experience was like. So Arlene, if you want to come back on, that would be great. Hi, hey, Arlene. Arlene. And uh, Liliana, I think you're you're you should have uh, control of your of your microphone and camera now. I made you a presenter. There she is. Hi. Hi. Hi Thank you, you so much. Hi there. Yep. Hi. Yes. <laughs> yep. Love your backdrop. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Very cool. So um, so Liliana and Arlene, as I said, have uh, um, success successfully pitched their their book. So what I want to do is talk to them a little bit about like what was that experience like? And Arlene, I, I'm going to start with you. I mean, like, were you nervous? Did you have preconceptions about what it was going to be like? Just tell us a little bit about what you went through. Um, I was incredibly nervous. <laughs> I pitched to Cecilia Lira with um, PS Literary. And um, right away, when I said hi to her, she said, how are you? And I said, nervous. And she set me at ease. She said, uh, us agents get nervous too. Um, <laughs> so that set a really nice tone. Um, but it was it was really fast. It's so much faster than you anticipate it being. So all that nervousness was for five minutes. Well, I think she extended it a little bit. It came closer to 10, um, mm -hmm. but it, it, it was over in, in a blink, so. So did you prepare something? Did you prepare your pitch? Like, did you memorize it before you went in there? I uh, I did prepare a document, um, but I used it. So I did it like a query letter for myself. I I literally I told myself personalization, and then I and then I had some writing there because I researched her prior to the pitch. Very so smart. I had I had listened to some podcasts and her, I had read her manuscript wish list. I tried to find anything I could find. So Arlene, I had what's, what's the name of her podcast? I want to put that in the chat. Do you remember what it's well, called? No, she she just did interviews. Oh, okay. She had done interviews um, with manuscripts. So the one I wrote on here, Manuscript Academy, and it was it's called um, Ten Queries. So in um, a short period of time, she on the podcast goes through 10 queries live. Oh, wow. And she does the whole process of why she's not going to take that one, why she's rejecting it, why she's taking it. So I was writing notes as she was going through each query. 
um, it was so it's important to kind of do a little research, I think. So I wrote that down and then I told myself in my document brief bio and I, I wrote things down about myself because if I get nervous, I might forget. So I wrote down the things I wanted to mention. And then I had my my little pitch and then um, that's the part I actually read was the pitch itself. Everything else I kind of just tried to do like a talk. Okay. And what about you, Liliana? Um, I had to write it down because my memory is not the greatest. <laughs> so when um, my pitch time came about, I, I had an, a Word document on the right side and then I had her on the left side and I was able to read from it. Uh, I don't know if she noticed or not, but she was very polite. So she didn't say anything about that. <laughs> but I and did write... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I did. I did the whole spiel. I talked about myself. I talked about my pitch. But I think what really helped is that she was very. Uh, uh, she really participated in asking me all these questions, so I was able to open up more and tell her more about the story and what I was writing about. So I think that really helped a lot. What was the agent? Who was the agent that you pitched to? Uh, this was Amira from Serendipity uh, Literary Agency. Mm -hmm. uh, I was pitching a new adult um, urban fantasy story. Uh, so um, I and noticed that she was interested in that type of stories. And did she ask to see your entire manuscript or did she ask to see a portion of it? Uh, she just asked to see the first uh, 30 pages. Okay. And have you yeah. sent that to her? Yes, I have. So I'm and still waiting. Did you get, did you, oh, you're still waiting? Yes. So that, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another thing that I feel is a good thing to mention about literary agents, which is that writers, writers have one experience of time, which is like, we want to know right now. We want to know the answer. Are you going to accept my book or not? It's been a week. What are you waiting for? But agent time is very different from writer time. Agent time is like three months might go by. And for them, it's just like that's nothing. So if you submit to a, a literary agent, even if they've requested your manuscript and you don't hear anything back from them in a month, two months, three months, that doesn't mean anything. Don't get discouraged. Don't freak out. Don't stop bombarding them with phone calls or emails. It just means they haven't gotten around to your to your story yet. Um, and if you do email them, uh, just be super polite about it and just say like, uh, hey, you know, I just want to make sure that you received the submission that I made on whatever the date was. And they'll probably write back and say, oh, yes, I'm look, looking forward to reading that. It's next on my on my in my pile or something like that. Well, one yeah. of the things I've learned about the publishing business, because it is a business, is that it takes time. It takes mm -hmm. time for the writer to write the story. It takes time for the story to be edited. It takes time for it to be like, to go through all types of edits and stuff. So it's not like I wrote a story, I'm ready to publish. Like you have to have patience. And that's why I learned throughout yep. this whole process, having patience. <laughs> I, would, I would say that's correct as far as uh, traditional publishing goes. But now that self-publishing is so prevalent, that's a possibility that's, we're literally at anyone's fingertips now. Uh, mm -hmm. I wonder, you know, you don't have to wait anymore. If you're impatient, mm -hmm. you can just get it out there, which I suppose in some ways is a, a good thing. And then in other ways is a bad thing. Um, I, I'm sure. Go ahead, Jacob. I, yeah, just to build off that, I, th I think there is always that option to self-publish if, if, you, if you can't wait. Um, but even then, you have to be patient when you're self-publishing, too. I've seen very I've seen a lot of cases where folks will will rush to get their work published, self-published, and it might be riddled with errors or or like there might be inconsistencies in the name and the plot and stuff. And um, it, it just does damage to to the work. And of course, you can always update it. There are there, there are some some I've seen some self-published works and stuff is like their 14th edition or whatever. Right. You can continue to fine tune it and everything. But it's best to to put your best foot forward from the beginning. So 
even if you are self-publishing, pump the brakes and take the time to 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 really flesh it out and get every all your ducks in a row so that when you do, you know, premiere, it it, it is not, um, oh, no, there's a misspelling in the first sentence kind of thing. Um, yeah. And the other other thing that I wanted to mention, too, because it was thinking about agents and stuff. If you think you have waited too long, wait just a little bit longer. <laughs> before you reach out to them <laughs> because right. it's a delicate dance. There are so many articles. I even think the writer's market talks about this too. It's like, how do you interact with an agent who has something that of yours that might, you know, like when do you reach out and ask and stuff always, I, it's best to wait several weeks or uh, months even before you say, Hey, how's it going? I was wondering if, because um, to Paul's point, they're extremely busy and they have a lot uh, that, that that's that they're going through. Um, and I would say the exact same thing is true for when you're submitting creative works for publication in literary journals. Be patient. Some I've gotten rejections like 10 months after I've submitted, sometimes a year after I've submitted. Sometimes I don't get the rejection. Um, it doesn't happen. <laughs> you only find out five years later where you're like, oh, yeah, I don't think I ever got an email from them. <laughs> In, in cases of that, that the one thing I would the the key difference is don't reach out for literary journals. They hate that when you're like, hey, have you read my work yet? They don't like that. They'll say, oh no, we haven't, and now we won't kind of thing. Whereas like <laughs> agents are a little bit more forgiving, of course, because you know you're trying to build a relationship with them for the long run and stuff. So those are just two things off the top of my head um, from this great conversation that we're having. So yeah, um, so. Liliana, what what would you say as a result of your experience uh, was the biggest thing that you learned about about um, agents or pitching to an agent? Um, I would say, like, uh, don't be too nervous because I was freaking out. I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, but how, can, how can you not be nervous, especially <laughs> if it's your very first time pitching to an agent? You're going to yes, be nervous, exactly. right? Exactly. So, so what did just, you, how, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you like push on despite being super nervous? Well, I, I think uh, what can give you some confidence is to know everything about your story. Like mm -hmm. uh, make sure that you're very uh, confident in what you're pitching and just learn it, memorize it or even have it side by side. Uh, because I've been writing these characters for a couple of years now. Um, I, that gave me the confidence to just push forward. Even if she didn't like the story, at least I know what the story is about and the story that I want to tell. That's so, great advice because that's something yeah. that's something you can control. You're yes. in a situation where you can't necessarily control everything, but you can at least control that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Arlene, what, what do you think makes a good pitch? I think you want to get briefly your main character explain the setting and the main character but then get right to your inciting incident um that way you kind of hook the agent right away um i noticed too i added at the very um and i i mentioned um comps and i think it i could see the gears going it kind of helped you just I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Can you explain for, for people that might not know that term, like what is a comp in a, in, when, when it comes to pitching? What does that mean? So you want to be reading works that in your genre and you want to be looking for books that are similar to yours that you can that would be placed in the same part of the bookstore as your book is going to be placed. Now, Cece, listening to her podcast interview, had mentioned that she really likes when a writer has two comps and she likes them to bring up two different parts of your book. Like maybe one comp suggests the type of storytelling, like your voice, um, and then maybe the other comp suggests um, what happens in the story, like the plot. So she likes an intersection. Um, so I tried to do that. I So I think I wrote, um, something about it conjures the rawness of Dorothy Allison's bastard out of Carolina and the nuanced Asian American perspective of Celeste Ng's everything I never told you. And then I saw her kind of, she lit up because she could exactly start to picture 
where my book will land, um, you know, on That's the, awesome. the sales table. Well, and you know what else? She lit up because she she knew from hearing that that you knew her, you knew her preferences, that you had done your due diligence and your research and you weren't just wasting her time. I mean, I think that's that's got to be super important. That's got to be great for an agent to be like, oh, wow, this writer has researched me. I think also um, I very briefly hit on like the themes um, and I noticed she really appreciated that, too, because when you look at their manuscript wish list, if they have one, a lot of them will tell you themes they're looking for. So what do you you mean by what would be an example of a theme that uh, they're looking for? She was very interested in um, family like problems in the book. Um, She liked that type of drama. And then she liked things that had to do with mixed mixed race, maybe an immigrant perspective. She liked things like that. So I made a point to tell her the thematic elements between the um, the the bad mother daughter relationship in the book and then um, how I was looking at intersections that had to do with uh, race, economics, um, things like that. So it helps, I think, if you can kind of hit upon um, things they're looking for, they're almost like buzzwords for them. Mm -hmm. And Liliana, what about you? Did you did you like research before? Yes. Oh, yes. I, I'm not going to call myself a stalker, but yes, <laughs> I did. I researched her social media. I read her tweets. I went through her uh, to her website, the serendipity. I read, um, I tried to research everything about them. And I think I did find an interview with her and read that as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, and but what? I had, uh, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. No, but yeah, I highly recommend for uh, anybody that's going to be participating next time to really do their uh, research and see what they like or what they don't like and stuff. Because you don't want to pitch like a love story to like somebody that's looking for uh, high fantasy or something like that. Exactly. And we usually get the names of the agents out there um, in advance, a few weeks in advance, just to give... uh, students enough time to do their research and decide, you know, which is the best agent for them to pitch to. Um, So I'm going to at this point, I think, kind of go dip into the chat and uh, Liliana and Arlene, I hope you'll stay up here and and I might might we might throw some of these chat questions at you as well. Um, And uh, if people are uh, interested, if they have questions, please throw them in the chat. And uh, yeah, it's going to be tough, Hannah. There's a lot of stuff going on in the chat. So if you if you have questions that ha- we haven't gotten to, um, then please uh, throw them down there in the chat. Um, anyone know a good way to find sensitivity? I think I think you mean a sensitivity reader. Um, sem- uh, a sensitivity reader is a is a reader who uh, is going to read your book for. Um, uh, for to make sure that you are not inadvertently um, disrespecting or misrepresenting or or appropriating a culture uh, that's not your own or a uh, a character that's not your own. For example, if you're writing about a character with a certain disability, maybe uh, that you do not have a firsthand um, experience of that disability, whether you're writing about that in a way that is legitimate and authentic to that character's uh, lived experience. Um, and there are ways that you can find uh, sensitivity readers. Um, a lot of them advertise online. Uh, there's a wonderful work website called Writing the Other, uh, which I'm putting in the chat right now. That's run by a woman named Nisi Shaw. She's a fantastic writer, a speculative fiction writer. Uh, she talks about this a lot, and there are a lot of resources on that website. I recommend you check it out. Um, so let's see what else do we have um would a comic writer have to know everything about writing and illustration when it comes to creative writing that's from william william the answer to that is no all you really need to know about is writing luckily comics provide illustrators i i wrote a comic book myself was published by dc comics uh many years ago it was called anima um i can't draw worth a lick i mean even stick figures are are basically beyond me um 
But I didn't need to draw because DC Comics hooked me up with some amazing artists who drew my comic for me. Um, and it became a collaboration, a valued collaboration with another creative uh, person. A uh, really wonderful experience, actually. Um, I thought I saw a question in there about whether you can pitch to the same agent twice. And the answer to that is probably no, unless they tell you, unless they say, you know, this book isn't for me, but I like your style. Send me the next thing that you're doing. Then absolutely. Can you pitch to the same editor twice? You can pitch to the same editor a million times and you and you absolutely should. Um, I saw another question about like uh, simultaneous submissions. Some magazines forbid it. I, I personally don't think that's fair. Um, but uh, if you're a writer, you have to abide by what they uh, are asking. So if you are submitting to a magazine and they say no simultaneous submissions are accepted, then do not submit simultaneously. With agents, it's a different story. Um, agents are 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 basically um, agents work for you. You don't work for them, right? So when you're querying an agent, you're essentially, I mean, one way to look at it is that you're interviewing them for the position of being your agent, right? So you can interview as many people as you want. There's no no reason that you can't. But once you have an agent, then it's then you're you absolutely should should stay with that agent until you're ready to part ways. If indeed you decide you are ready to part ways, then you decide amicably or whatever you part ways, then you can look for another agent. Um, so there's a little bit of, you know, ethics involved in this in this whole thing. Uh, John is asking, do you have to be in the MFA or the MA to pitch to an agent uh, for this particular opportunity, the pitch weekend? Yes, you do have to be uh, in either of our programs uh, in the graduate um, in your graduate, your thesis, your last thesis class in the semester. Um, I asked. I, I saw a, quote, a question in there from somebody who is currently in their thesis course and wanting to know when we'll have that information up. Uh, I am now in the process now of reaching out to agents to line them up for the next pitch session. So I would imagine probably in a month you'll hear something, maybe a little less. Yes. And um, to clarify, too, you don't necessarily need to seek an agent out in the MA or MFA program either you you can you can do it on on your own it's 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 not necessarily a, a, a required component of of the degree um there are many opportunities usually with writing conferences and stuff you might have to pay uh, a fee and stuff but uh, uh to get in front of agents and, and pitch your work as well um so you don't necessarily um you know need to be in an MA or MFA program or have graduated from an MA or MFA program to pitch your work to an agent. They're interested in the story ultimately and more than anything else. Um, so yeah. that's why you hear, I mean, there are, there's such variety in writers. Some writers go to school for 20 or 30 years to master the craft. Some of them seem like, you know, they just somehow inherently have a gift where they can write best-selling novels the minute they're like, you know what? I was a lawyer. Now I'm going to be a writer like John Grisham was and stuff. Right. So yeah. everyone, we everyone has people. their own. <laughs> no, we don't. Well, we I mean, those. you know, we, we did Jurassic Park. So I guess that's something. But <laughs> so so I'm going to respond really quickly to two other questions that I saw on there. The questions are coming fast and furious. So this this was somebody who's wondering, like, can I apply for the MA or the MFA if I'm still in my BA? Uh, and the answer is maybe. Um, I didn't realize this was possible, but I actually have somebody in my MFA right now who's still in the, their BA. Isn't that weird? It's like they they are they are in the final term of their BA, and they receive permission to take MFA courses, which they will then apply to the MFA. So my my suggestion is that if you're interested in doing something like that, you got to talk to your advisor, and they'll understand it better than I did. I do. I didn't even realize it was possible, but it obviously is. Um, I I was uh, I was still at my BA and um, I applied in August for the MFA and I didn't finish my BA till October. Uh, and then when I got accepted, I started I started right in November. So uh, it is, so, yeah. So you got accepted into the MFA while you were still in your BA. Yes. Okay. Very cool. But you didn't start to be the MFA until you were finished with the BA. Yes, correct. Okay. Wow. So there you have it, folks. 
there's a way you it's can get possible. It. Yep, it is definitely <laughs> definitely possible. Um, do you have to have a finished manuscript to pitch? And the answer to that is yes, sort of mostly, right? In the in the in the MFA, uh, you write a novel as part of your graduation requirements. When you leave the MFA, you have a novel that we deem to be of publishable quality. That's not to say it might not need a little bit more work. Uh, and in fact, one of the last things that an MFA student receives from their instructor uh, after their last course is an editorial letter about their thesis novel, which sets out like what they should be concentrating on in their last round of revis revisions before they send it off to an agent or an editor or whatever. Um, in the MA, though, uh, a full novel is not required for graduation. You just have to complete a certain number of pages. And what is that number, Jacob? I don't, I don't remember offhand. 50,000. Like, no, you have to complete 50,000 words, right? At no, least minimum? That's, that's for the MFA. You have to have oh, at least oh, you're asking about the MA. Of, yeah, but for oh, the MA, you don't have to complete 000. a full novel. What is it? Thirty-five thousand. No, Thirty-five to fifty thousand. Uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not a full-length novel um, yeah. for the M. It it translates to about I think forty to sixty pages. About. Okay. I mean that's so. a good chunk of a novel. The, mm -hmm. Here's what's going to happen when you pitch an agent. If you're successful in pitching the agent, they're going to ask to see either your manuscript or or a portion of it. Right. They'll either ask for the full manuscript or a portion, but whichever one they do they ask for. They're going to ask for it um, with the expectation that you're going to be in a position to send them everything if they want it. Right. So if you only have 60 pages of your novel done and you pitch your novel and the agent says, send me your novel right away. And you, then you have to say, well, I don't have it written yet. It's not. And the agent will say, well, you just wasted my time. And that's that's not going to be a good look. Now, our RMA students are pitching to agents. Right. And the, and the idea there is that they even without a completed novel, because they are coming out of an MA program, they've demonstrated the ability to complete their work. It's a somewhat different situation than going in cold uh, without the uh, backing of a program like uh, the MA at SNHU behind them. So we don't feel any um, problem there with with students from the MA pitching their novels. And in fact, a lot of students in the MA have successfully pitched their novels. So, um, but as a general rule of thumb, you should have a completed manuscript ready to go when you pitch an agent. Yeah, and I to jump in there too. I'm I'm bad, really bad with math, and I I got the number, I got the word count right. Thirty thirty to thirty five thousand is for um, the fiction. If we're comparing fiction program to fiction yeah. program, MA to MFA. The final project for English 559, which is the last thesis completion course that you would take with a fiction concentration, is 30,000 to 35,000 words. That translates to more pages than I thought. It's 120 pages for 30,000 words. So it's I mean, that's novella short novella that's short right. novel. Yeah, it's, yep. it's not yeah. your 300 page novel. Um, yeah. You're in you're in the ballpark there. I mean, that's mm -hmm. something that if you, if, an, if you pitch the, a thirty five thousand word novel and the agent says, send me your manuscript. Well, you could you could finish that novel. You could enough. You could like finish a draft of the novel and send it to them in, in three weeks. Right. Mm -hmm. If that's all you did. Right. Um, so I have a there's a question in here I saw that's like um, asking about scams and. Um, what should you be watching out for with an agent? Well, if you're going through one of our programs in the pitch weekend, you don't have to worry about a scam because we're only inviting professional agents who are in good standing um, in the profession. And, and we, we, we're, we vet them ourselves. They're, they're all top of the line. But there are scams out there. There are scam artists. And I mean, in the, in the, I, I'm a speculative fiction writer. And in my field, there's a saying, Money flows to the writer. Money does not flow away from the writer. So if you're working with an agent and they're asking for like, or you're looking into an agent and that agent is looking for like upfront payments by you, or this whole goes for a publisher too, or an editor. If they're looking for upfront payments, that's a red flag. That doesn't mean yes. they're scam artists, but that means look very closely, do your due diligence, ask around, look online, there's a great website that's hosted by the Science Fiction Writers of 
America. I'm putting it in the chat right now. Writer, beware. Um, and this is kind of a compendium of uh, scam artists, basically, who are agents or publishers, a lot of small publishers. Um, you know, you are far more likely to be ripped off by a small press than you are by an agent. Um, that's really where I would advise people to be super careful. If you're self-publishing and you're involved with a small press who's asking you to shell out money for various services, whatever they may be, yeah. um, might be legit, might not. I'm very skeptical about that. You have to be very, very careful. You have to do your like just just like everyone has said on this um, uh, group meeting uh, about doing your research uh, when when you're pitching to a specific agent. It's good to do just your research to look at like you know what is this publisher's experience. Um, usually, you can tell you know like how often is their website updated. Um, to Paul's point, are they asking money up front? Are they asking? And this is this. This can be true for almost any aspect of writing. Um, you might see editing positions or editing jobs that like, oh, I'll read your work for you or I'll make you into the next best selling author. The rule of thumb that I like to follow is if they are prompt, the more they promise, the less they're going to be able to deliver on. Ultimately, if they're saying we will give you the moon, you will become America's next great American novelist, like you'll be the next great American novelist. People will swoon over you, your presence and everything. Probably not. Don't keep walking. Avoid that person. Look for the people who are saying, you know, hey, I like you. You and I seem like we might have a good relationship with each other. I'm interested in this type of writing. You're interested in producing this type of writing. Let's move forward in that direction. But if ever you get into a room and like within the first five minutes, the person's like, absolutely, you know, give me send me $500. We'll get this thing going and stuff. Take a pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Paul's right. Like not all of them are bad. That's I'm not, we're not saying that at all either. There's a lot of legitimate folks out there and stuff, but just do your research and, and double check cross-reference. There's so many literary databases out there. I put one in the chat earlier in poets and writers. You can look and see if their names are in the databases see if they have experience with what they say they have experience with, um, you know, and it, and it's just something that we're going to all have to be extra vigilant about now that, I mean, everything is becoming a, <laughs> we don't know right. up is down, left is right, you know, so. Yeah, I, I know, I haven't heard of there being any AI publishers yet, but it's, it's not impossible. It might be, Soon, I don't just, know. Just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. What about small press started by a self-published author? Uh, Again, you have to it, look at the 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 re, like who is the self-published author? Are they are they um, you know Stephanie Meyer or whatever from Twilight? She was self-published, right? Like, or is it someone that you've never heard of uh, and? You know, do all the reviews on Amazon look like they were probably bought? Like, were all the reviews like amazing, great writer and stuff like that? You have to kind of look at it in that way. There are a lot of good self-published authors out there who might be trying to leverage their career into pursuing. We have a couple of instructors even um, in our programs and stuff. I think the last Wireside chat you you had had Jeremy um, Billingsley here, um, Paul yep. for Slay House yep. Publishing. So like there there are folks who 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 are legitimately interested in starting publishing companies and stuff who maybe just starting off anew. Um, that doesn't mean they're bad or or anything. It just means that you have to again do your research and see like who is this person, what experience do they have with whatever it is they say they're publishing, and exactly. go from there. Because they might not be scam artists at all, but that doesn't mean they're going to be a good publisher. You know, if they if they've just self-published their own work, suddenly they're taking on the responsibility of of doing everything that a publisher has to do for another writer. It's not easy when you're doing it for yourself. I mean, at least you're motivated because that's your baby. Right. And you want it to want it to be the best it possibly can be. And you know that nobody's going to be, you know, marketing your book unless you market it yourself. If you don't edit your book or hire an editor to do it, then you're going to be turning out a, a crappy piece of merchandise that nobody's going to want to buy. But that doesn't necessarily translate into the same level of uh, care uh, towards another writer's book. So 
I would just say be super careful about any situation like that. Um, and folks, uh, I hate to say it, but that brings us to the end of uh, this month's Wireside Chat. Uh, I want to thank uh, Jacob for joining me, and I want to especially thank Arlene and Liliana uh, for thank sharing you. your experiences. And uh, we want to wish you both the best of luck with your with your um, journey you. with with your submissions. And I hope you keep me in the loop as to as to what goes on. Definitely. Really wish you the best. Thank you. And um, yes, this this uh, uh, event will be recorded. Um, and it will be available on the, um, the, the Wireside Chat YouTube channel. Uh, and um, I will uh, actually, maybe I can even post that right now. Do you know that? Do you have that handy, Jacob, by any chance? The YouTube should... wires, the Wireside Chat YouTube oh, channel? Yeah, you wouldn't have that one handy, but I do. Hold on one second. I'm going I to have the word for word one, which I can plug. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, why don't you throw that one in the chat now? All right. And, then, and while you're yeah. doing that, I'll get the. Um... So that one I just posted. That's that's the word for word um, chat. If anyone's interested in watching any older um, recordings of uh, folks, and don't forget Thursday we're gonna have Alyssa Cole, which will be really fun. Yeah. Well, I am. I've got too much stuff to juggle here, so I'm. I will just promise <laughs> that I'll get the 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 uh, URL for the uh, Wireside Chat YouTube out. Uh, one way or another, you'll find it. I promise. Uh, and so, thank you, everyone, again, and good night. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Take good night. care, everyone. Goodbye. Take care.